Hi listeners and welcome to our coronavirus series of Reasonable and Necessary. I'm your host, Dr. George Teleporis, and I'm from the Summer Foundation. We all have a role to play in getting through this pandemic. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, stay at home. These are things that we all need to do. On top of that, we need to work out how to get the support that we need in a way that is safe. We don't have all the answers, but we are here to help you through it. Please remember that we can't provide medical advice. Talk to your doctor for that. Or call the National Coronavirus Info Line on 1-800-020-080 or visit health.gov. On today's episode, we're going to New York City to talk to disability rights lawyer T.K. Small about life in the centre of the coronavirus pandemic. The statistics tell a very sad story. In the first five days of April, 1,125 people were pronounced dead in their homes or on the street in New York City. More than eight times the deaths recorded during the same period in 2019. According to the Times, as of the 6th of April, 1,100 of the 140,000 people with developmental disabilities who have been monitored by the state had contracted coronavirus. Sadly, 105 had died. This rate is far higher than the general population. This begs the question, how many of those deaths were the results of being denied adequate treatment? And how many people with disabilities are dying because health services are prioritizing their bodies? That's one thing that disability rights activists around the world are very concerned about. Joining me now is T.K. Small, Director of Policy at Concepts of Independence, which is a provider of consumer-directed services. T.K. is also a founding member of MND United, which is a peer-led organisation of adults living with neurovascular disabilities. Hey TK, thanks for joining us. How are you? Well, thank you, George, for inviting me on your show. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, Before we get into it, how are you you coping with being a, a New Yorker with what's happening with the coronavirus? Well, it's uh, certainly a lot to process and keep an eye on. Um, as you might know, hospitals for people with disabilities, but particularly for people with um, significant disabilities like muscular dystrophy, etc., are um, really dangerous places in the first place. And so the prospect of um, possibly needing to go to the hospital is not something that I really am looking forward to at all. So I'm trying to do my best to stay healthy 
and keep my team of caregivers as healthy as possible. So we're limiting outside exposure and everybody's washing their hands all the time. Sometimes people wear face masks and um, it's definitely something that's changed uh, my life over the last month or so. It's, it's a lot to handle and a lot to practice. The, the pictures on the news look really quite terrifying. Um, have you had to make, make any changes to how you uh, are living in order to minimize your risk? Absolutely. I haven't been out of my apartment more than once in the last 10 days. Um, I went out in the evening three nights ago. But, I mean, the streets were basically empty, and I ran from my apartment building right to my car, and then we drove and went to a nighttime um, ATM machine, and then I went to a, a vegetable store to do some grocery shopping. But that's it. I haven't been out at all in 10, 12 days. And I'm, I'm out frequently. I take the subway. I drive into Manhattan. Um, my neighborhood is a great place to just go out for a roll around the neighborhood. And as we go into warm weather, after being cooped up in my apartment for much of the winter, this time of year, I spend a lot of time outside. So it's been a little bit tough. I can imagine. And um, how are you managing your support team? I mean, in Australia, we call, we call PAs support workers. Um, how, how are you managing them? Are you, have you cut down the number of, of uh, support workers that you have in your house? What, what, what have you sort of done to, to minimize the risk from that, from that perspective? I've juggled the schedule a little bit to limit um, some of the back and forth to my house. So I have one guy that does um, a majority of my shifts. And so he's able to do like a a back-to-back-to-back type of uh, situation. So that's going to happen. And I have one guy that had a sore throat three weeks ago. And so to be on the safe side, he hasn't been back to me since then. But he only works one night a week, and he feels fine. But he comes from the other side of the city, up in the Bronx, so he has to take the subway to get to me, and um, some people feel that the subways are really um, quite contaminated. But, I mean, my guys are very careful. When they get to my house, they immediately change. They all wash their hands, and um, I feel quite confident about we're doing the best that we can. And um, I think I think if it, if it stays the way it is right now, we'll be okay. Do you have the supplies that you need in order to? I know that you're a ventilator user. That you that you probably have all sorts of equipment needs. Are you able to access the equipment that you need? Well, I have all the equipment that I need in my house, and I'm pretty good at maintaining my level of supplies. So I think I have all the supplies. There's lots of things that um, I've had to purchase out of my own pocket. Extra gloves, extra cleaners, 
extra vitamins and other supplements to try to keep myself um, a little bit healthier. And um, I mean, fortunately, I work so I can afford these things. But many people with disabilities that live on some government supports, they, they don't really have the extra money to purchase these extra supplies. So for a lot of people, it's quite challenging. Yeah, it certainly is. And we know that um, the prices have gone up and all the things that we need. So exactly. um, sanitizer is now you know, 30 times the price it was. Um, masks are also either impossible or extremely expensive. And then there's gloves. Um, we, we definitely uh, are facing some some supply challenges yeah. in, in Australia. Uh, we also had no toilet paper. Did you have that problem? Um, no, I think that was a craze for a little while. I had bought a gigantic pack of toilet paper, not because I was hoarding it, it was just I was running low and I had this lifelong phobia about not having enough toilet paper in my house, so I always have probably too much. So you've got enough to, you had enough to get you through the winter. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, excellent. Have you heard of any of your friends with disabilities um, contracting the virus or, um, or, or have, have you heard of other people with disabilities who, who've needed to go into hospital? Well, the testing of people has not been really great here in New York City. Although there's been a lot of tests, they're telling people that if you don't have really, really bad symptoms, to just stay home and ride it out. And I do have one friend that has been staying home and riding it out, and he's feeling a little bit better. He said that his fever is broken, but he's terrified to go to the hospital because you don't have the people helping you in the hospital that you have in your house. I mean, the people that help us, as you call them, your support team, they know exactly how to take care of you. And so um, not having the that type of skill in the hospital can be sometimes as dangerous as whatever condition makes you go to the hospital in the first place. So my friend is, he says as of this afternoon, he feels a little bit better. But, I mean, these things can get bad real quick, so um, we're just keeping our fingers crossed. I think that we're all terrified of, of that scenario, and and we're terrified of uh, ending up in hospital. And, and, and you know, firstly, there, there is the whole issue of can your, your support workers stay with you in the hospital? And, and you know, in Australia... Um, they can be quite difficult like that, but they will say, you know, that, that, that you can't have support workers. Um, but taking away someone's support workers is, is a major, major hazard. Yeah, absolutely. It means that you can be stuck with people who don't know what to do when you need help. Yeah. Well, I was sick back in 2011 and ended up in the hospital. And here in America, if you go into the hospital, your support workers 
don't get paid. So I ended up paying for my guys to stay with me in the hospital literally 24 hours a day. And again, I work so I can afford to do that, but most people can't. And I was, yeah, it's, hospital, very, I was it's, it's hospital, not fair. That's really not fair. I was in the hospital for a total of 15 days. So it was a, a hefty bill, but it was well worth it because if I didn't have their help, I wouldn't have made it. I definitely think we need to educate health professionals about the importance of people having their own team of workers who, are, who they are familiar with. Well, you know, um, it's and, it, it's not the health workers per se. They're happy to have the help in the hospital, and they they recognize pretty quickly that they don't know how to take care of me. It was it's really more the the the, the governmental programs that make the rules for the the funding of these services that need to be educated. So that my doctor was a strong advocate, and when I got admitted into the hospital. The same day I got admitted, he went up to the nurses' station and told the nurses in no uncertain terms that my team were critically important and to leave them alone. And for the most part, the the staff stayed out of their way and they were happy to have um, my team of guys taking care of me and that way they could move the aides and nurses to do other things. That sounds like you had a good doctor. Yeah, you're good. That's really important that you have someone to speak up for you. Uh, what? What? Are, I mean, we talked about some things that the governments need to do. What other things do you think that that um, we all need to be doing to to stay safe at the moment uh, in, from from the coronavirus? Um, first and foremost, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Every you know half not every half hour, but don't be afraid to wash your hands. If it if it feels like it's overkill, it's not. Um, and don't don't just rinse your hands in the sink. Really get the soap there and scrub in the in the um, in your in, in between your fingers under your nails because you don't realize how dirty your hands are. Another simple thing is a lot of people wash their hands and then they go right back and they touch. Their dirty phone. So I've got my guys cleaning their phone, their phone with a little bit of bleach on a paper towel, and they clean their phones. Um, don't go on public transportation unless you really need to. If you can wear a face mask when you're in public, try to do that. Um, things like um, stay as far. I mean, but we're calling it here social distancing. Um, people are doing a good job in terms of staying six feet away. Uh, as I mentioned, when I was out the other night, I was coming down the street and I saw a neighbor, and this is the guy that we always talk on the street, and we end up having like these interesting, elaborate conversations. But he was very careful in stepping back and staying five, six feet away from me, and I really appreciated it. So um, I do think people are getting the message now. It would have been nice if some of this had happened back in February before the whole thing really erupted. I think that would have improved the situation. 
Yeah, certainly would be. And you're a, you're a human rights lawyer. You, you've worked in disability law um, for most of your career. What do you think are some of the human rights challenges that we're, that we're facing at the moment? Well, there is some discussion of the rationing of things like ventilators and other care. So as doctors have to triage a difficult situation, there are some protocols that suggest that they can um, deny a ventilator to a severely disabled person in the benefits of helping somebody that is on its surface expected to live longer than us. I think that's an immediate challenge. Um, and I think it's something that all states in the United States um, are, are going to be potentially in that position. If, the, if, there are not, if there are not enough ventilators to help all the people that need them, somebody has to make a decision about who gets one and who doesn't and how those protocols are implemented. If it's just first come, first serve, then that's at least, you know, the luck of the, the, luck of the dice. But if somebody's going to say, well, this guy's 40 and not disabled, and that guy over there is 54 and is disabled, I'll give it to the young guy and not the old disabled guy. That's a big, pretty big concern. Yeah, it certainly is. Are there any uh, human rights defenses that we can that we can use? I mean, the, the, the human rights laws, are they, are they adequate to protect us? Um, well, when you say us, are you talking about... As disabled people. Well, I don't really... Because every jurisdiction has their own laws. Um, there are laws that are in play, but the question is whether um, they will be properly implemented. And as you may know, um, just because you have a law doesn't mean that something is going to actually happen. So um, we do have laws. There's the Americans with Disabilities Act. There is uh, the Federal Rehab Act, both of which would apply to certain aspects of healthcare decision-making. And so, you know, the question is, you can have a law, but if there's not someone to go to court and file a lawsuit quickly, you know, the, you don't have a lot of time when you're waiting in line to get a ventilator. Yeah, that's definitely an issue, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I'm just um, wondering, are there any other uh, thoughts that you have to people listening in Australia um, and, and from the, your... You're in New York, you're three weeks possibly ahead of us, and hopefully we won't end up with a, a serious uh, level of infections as you are, but do you have any, any thoughts or last words that you'd like to say to people listening in Australia? Well, it's great that you have George uh, putting on a show like this um, because getting the information out there is really important. And so I would say just be careful. Don't get overwhelmed with the news. The news is scary, but don't let the news um, drive you into a state of panic. 
Um, I find that that's one of my best coping strategies. I turn the news on in the morning and I figure out what's going on, what's happened in, overnight. And then um, after about an hour or so, I just turn it off and I try to do my work and concentrate on other things to not worry about the news. And I just try to stay busy. So I find that trying to be helpful and keep me busy is um, very good for my mental outlook. That's a very good advice. Thank you for look after yourself. Thank you very much, George. Take care. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary. Brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Check out our Facebook page for all previous podcasts and transcripts. We also love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, for the most up-to-date info on the coronavirus, call the Coronavirus Helpline on 1-800-020-080 or visit health.gov.au. Stay tuned for our next episode and please stay safe and remember to wash your hands.